This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I love all those details and I loved putting in I mean, I love the asymmetrical lines. What was really interesting about her outfit in Earth Girls and then the one we recreated is, it's a mixture of fabrics and one's a stretch and one's not a stretch. And that's that's hard to build. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to our costume broadcast. I'm Elizabeth Joy Glass, and today, unfortunately, Spencer is not with us, but we have a spectacular guest who you will know from We Are Marshall, Milk, Up in the Air, On the Road, Mother, and Ghostbusters Afterlife. We have Danny Glicker. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited to have you. Most exciting, you were recently nominated for an Emmy for the miniseries Angeline. Congratulations. Thank you. It was such a fun, sparkly, hot pink, intergalactic, cosmic world to be a part of. So anything to sort of extend the fun, I'm all about. Uh, It looked like it was just a massive amount of fun. I... Was I kind of went into this series not knowing what it was about because I'm I'm not from LA. I'm from Pennsylvania. So I went into this and I was like, who is Angeline? <laughs> and then this entire just fun, whimsical world really sweeps you up. Yeah. I mean, that is the big question. And I think what was so much fun for me as a designer is to sort of start with that basic question, which is who is Angeline? And and of course. That's the central question, because really at the heart of the show and, of course, at the heart of costume design is, is like the, the the most basic question of identity. And this show is all about identity and creation of identity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And getting to that creation of identity, the first episode, she goes through like quite a few looks before becoming, you know, the Angeline we see through the rest of the series. What was kind of the process of building that for the character? Well, I think, you know, I, th- I think that sort of it was like a working backwards thing because Angeline is is in, in reality an iconic presence and she sort of has really created herself, the real Angeline, to be an iconic presence. And so in episode one, we really go into sort of her inception point. And I loved playing with kind of the the hints of Angeline and and building within that actual research. So there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of references to in her looks that were really based on the research of uh Angeline from that time, from from her punk rock days in the late 70s and very early 80s. And so um I was putting lots of nods there. There was certain looks 
that um, are direct recreations, such as the there's a quick shot of her in a very frilly, it kind of almost looks like it. A frilly torso revealing Anne Margaret boudoir slash beach set, and she's holding a plush bunny. And that was a really, really incredible recreation of, of a real photo of her and her band Baby Blue at the time. Um, but for me, what it was about was really taking someone who was larger than life and actually using it as an opportunity for for both you know the audience and for Emmy to invest in something that was human scale. And so I loved kind of, I loved being able to sort of like work on that. Um, and even though a lot of the stuff that happens in the seventies is not yet her iconic body, which is such like a beautiful extreme sort of form that's really fun to dress. Um, pre, pre sort of Angeline's, as she refers to it in the show being fully realized, I was dressing her on a body that was a much more sort of like human form, mm -hmm. less intergalactic goddess that Angeline becomes. <laughs> yes. And that was really fun. So for me, it was really about accentuating the body that she has and working really closely with Emmy to move her through the world um, and how her body moves and how she kind of is sort of like hinting towards who she wants to become. And I think one of my favorite things that I did in the in that episode is I held back pink because I know that we're all expecting pink and and I really felt like I wanted the audience to kind of have this moment when they were seeing someone who they were kind of expecting to see but they also aren't seeing her as they had hoped to yet mm -hmm. so in her first look it was very intentionally red and white um in her first big look and the idea is that like the the recipe for pink is there, but pink is not yet there. So she's in this, you know, red mini skirt and this this really fun white eyelid halter polka dot top that we built. Um, the whole everything on her is built, and you know it's super Barbie. It's super fun. It's super kicky and effortless. And and it was really fun to watch Emmy get to use her body as Angeline in that, like even so much as exposing her shoulders the way that they are in the halter top, just getting, letting Emmy sort of like move her body in that kind of like incredibly liberated and cultish way, which was so exciting for me. And then as it goes, we see Angeline sort of becoming a little savvy and starts pushing herself a little into the rock star vibe. And there's a lot of series of her sort of like, moving into the punk world but on her rules which the episode makes it clear that she's pretty confused it's confusing to the people within the punk world because she's showing yeah. up <laughs> she's showing up in essentially like ice skating costumes and boudoir sets to her punk rock sets. yeah <laughs> and and that was really fun for me as well because you know that really was actually pretty punk rock like you know punk rock is about is about breaking the rules and she broke the rules within the rules. And I think that for Ange to walk into that punk rock club wearing her baby doll negligee with her like ruffled panties, that's punk. I mean, yeah. I think we'd all agree now it's punk, <laughs> oh, but then yeah. they're horrified. That was definitely giving me some like more 90s punk vibes. <laughs> yes. What was so interesting, especially about the LA punk scene is, you know, when we really went into the research for the for the very late 70s and early 80s punk scene, it is such a kind of 
it's the most modern experience. It's not like New York punk, and it is certainly nothing like London punk. It is much more what we would consider grunge. It was much more just dirty t-shirts and work pants. And it's not at all about kind of like the trappings that we think of. It's it was, So that was kind of like a fun kind of thing to play with. But yeah, I mean, for me, the first episode was really bringing Angie through her trajectory and teasing the pieces. In fact, I think the only time in the first episode that we really see her in anything that's pink in the beginning of her pink journey is when she's given the Corvette, but it's the wrong color because I wanted there to be this tension between her seeing the car that we all know that she was sort of placed on earth to have it's the it's the automotive embodiment of her soul Mm -hmm. and so that's the first time I put her in a piece of clothing that is kind of like what we think of as Angie Pink she's in she's in sort of a bubblegum pink halter top and and of course a leopard print skirt obviously um and and I wanted her I wanted there to be that kind of disappointment for her and the audience her standing next to the car in the exact right color when in fact the car is the wrong color. I I definitely loved and appreciated that transition into the pink. Um, I I was loving the show because I'm a big fan of pink, the color pink. Yes. So like half the time I was like, yes, this is what we need more of this in our lives. Um, but Angeline definitely a fan of pink, and you clearly took all just a ton of inspiration from her, uh, Angeline the person. But how did you kind of balance like? being historically accurate, but also creating a unique look for the show? Well, I think that a lot of the historical accuracy, you know, we got it out of our systems um, because so much of it was recreated so early on for the key art that we were replicating. And, um, And so by the time I kind of like did all those sort of one one to one recreations because they were such iconic looks that they really had to kind of like read as the exact thing. We were kind of liberated after that to just sort of move forward. It was really, you know, it was really about sort of not just building the literal trajectory because it takes place over five decades. So, you know, w- which is really also liberating because it's not like it's not like we're sort of stuck in one look. You know, we she her her whole her shape changes and evolves, her kind of aesthetic expression evolves throughout the show. And so I think that for me, it was really just about understanding once we recreated everything, we were so fluent in the language. And and I definitely put in a ton of a ton of Easter eggs for people who love Angeline. There's a lot of a lot of actual authentic Angeline fabrics that I was able to resource fabrics that she had sourced that I was able to re-recreate outfits from oh, wow. in LA. Cause you know, I wanted to make this a show that like had LA in its DNA, the Hollywood in its DNA. And so, um, so there's tons of accuracy all throughout the show, but kind of with the caveat that we had to create like a visual narrative language. And that to me was the most fun because it was also just about not creating a formula. It was about creating a real experience. And luckily, because we were jumping from era to era to era, it was actually quite organic to do so. I love that. Um, I also love going back to recreating. Uh, when you recreated her look for Earth Girls Are Easy, <laughs> that must have been an experience. 
It was really fun. That outfit was actually sold at a Bonham's auction, which is referenced uh, in the show. And so in addition to Earth Girls, we had a lot of um, really good references. But the original outfit was uh, built on a bra. um, And so it was really fun. So I built her outfit on a bra because you can still see the little plastic loops at sort of the top of the bra points. And so that for me was, I love all those details and I loved putting in, I mean, I love the asymmetrical lines. What was really interesting about her outfit in Earth Girls and then the one we recreated is it's a mixture of fabrics and one's a stretch and one's not a stretch. And that's, but, that's hard to build. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and luckily I was, you know, surrounded by, you know, my, my amazing cutter fitter, Joanna Bradley is unbelievable. She did, you know, Mad Men, she's fantastic. And so she was, she was, you know, truly like such a, such an, a dear collaborator. And so we would really kind of go in and play with everything. And then what I, I'm always obsessed with imperfection. And so, and this outfit is, you know, it it is an ode to imperfection. There are there are darts where there shouldn't be. There's wrinkles that are right like sewn into the seams. And so we did it all. We just put it all in there. And and it's beautiful. Like I love it. And it's done affectionately, you know, because I think that I think that when we see imperfection in the outfits. In addition to seeing imperfection, we're seeing kind of the intention. We're seeing that this thing was put together by by intentional hands. It was not put together. It wasn't something she went into a store and picked up. I think everything that Angeline has ever put on her body has passed through this sort of kind of experience of it becoming unique to Angeline. Mm-hmm. So those are the moments, those are the tells, those are the things in the outfit that I think breathe life into it. And so I'm always looking for those things in the outfit that are kind of, that sort of show its journey from a piece of fabric to the thing that they're wearing. And I and I can assure you that Angie has never worn anything off the rack as it was intended. That is amazing. Wow. So did Angeline actually like make her own clothes or is that a mystery? It's I know that I know that there's people who've made her clothes. And one of the interesting things that happens in the show is her mother is a seamstress. Yeah. And her stepmother's a seamstress. And and I think if nothing else, she's certainly around people who understand the intimate act of kind of clothing creation and how possible that was. So I can't speak to who exactly makes her clothes because I do want to sort of maintain the air of mystery. Yeah. But I can say that I can say that the important thing to know is, and it's sort of the whole point of the whole show is it's sort of like the minute details are not nearly as important as the fact that this incredible woman chose to create herself as she knows herself to be to reveal her ultimate truth. And that was the thing that I was most excited to reflect in each and every costume. That's incredible. And she definitely does create herself exactly how she knows she is. And that seemed to be very important, especially when it came to her chest. This fascinates me because I didn't even think about like, oh, Emmy Rossum, she this is not her size. Was it hard to have to work around the fake breasts or did it end up like kind of working seamlessly? 
you know, Kate Bisco and Vincent Van Dyke were our uh, incredible prosthetic and special effects makeup artists, both Emmy nominated. And Emmy's body throughout the entirety of the show was such a joy to work with. It was it was a joy to work with Emmy when her body was in its most sort of pure form because of Emmy's physicality. And it was really a joy to work with the body that was created by Vincent and Kate. And, and that's because it was such a beautiful, it was a beautifully realized body. And I think that everyone went into the show with such sort of like an enormous sense of respect, understanding that this is a show about hyper self-actualization. And so, and so the body really just became her body. And I mean, there were sort of, there was a lot of kind of like technical considerations, like in the fittings I would create, I created um, using the a prosthetic mold that Vincent had provided with me of some of the body forms, I would create like a zip on chest plate. And so whenever we went into the fitting, she would sort of put her body on like a vest, okay. zipped up the back, and then we would have her in her correct body in all the fittings. And then as the fittings went on, we would usually start from sort of early to present day. So the body would kind of like gain its its sort of like evolution that was correct to time. So it because it would be more layers, you know, she would start with fewer layers and, and end up with more layers. But I loved dressing. I loved dressing her body. I loved dressing her body when she was, you know, young in the show. And I love dressing her body as she becomes, as Angeline calls it, more fully realized. And I love it as she becomes as experienced as she is in present day. But the the body itself was such a joy. And because it was prosthetics and not, it wasn't just something you can take on and off. It was really real. Wow. So, I mean, it right to the point where like I you know, there were certain outfits where I gave her a bra, you know, even though the bust that she was wearing didn't always require it, but, you know, it made Emmy more comfortable. Like there'd be things like that where like we would do things and, and, and it really was a human body and I would adjust the clothes on her and it was incredibly lifelike. It wasn't, it, it, you know, it, it, it had sort of the sense of real skin. And even when Emmy wore it all day long, it felt to me like it was becoming room temperature, like, you know, human body temperature. Like she really did. It was such a transformative experience. I remember early on in the process, whenever I would go up and adjust anything and, and you'd have to be very careful adjusting the clothes around the bust line, because of course it is a very beautifully applied prosthetic. I'd always tell Emmy beforehand as I would with any actor. And then I would, and I would say, I'm going to adjust this and it's around your bust line. And then she would say, you know, Danny, it's not my real body. I can't actually feel it. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Cause I, I didn't think twice about it till, till I saw these pictures on your Instagram. And I was like, that's incredible. Cause I didn't question it for a second while watching the show. And, you know, what's really interesting is, you know, to that to that note, and she brings this up a lot. There's never a moment when she actually doesn't have prosthetics on her face, including all the way back to when we see Rachel. OK, that makes a lot more sense now. I was there was something I was like, she looks a little different, but I'm not sure what. But oh, wow. Yeah, because because Amy, because Angeline throughout the show is getting a lot of work done and. Um, and we don't really harp on that because I think that it's sort of something that's just sort of in the DNA of the show, but her look is evolving, I guess, is really the better way to say it. And so, and so there's always like, so even, even going all the way back to the sort of day one, 
when when Emmy is playing the young teen Renee or Rachel rather, um, we're seeing her with, um, you know, we're seeing her in her pure form, which is very different than we see her in the seventies. When which when the show begins, we think is her pure form, but it's kind of already an augmented form. Yes. Speaking of her becoming fully realized, as she gets older, her fashion kind of becomes even a little more extreme. And I I love that because it's you don't often see older women putting themselves out there like that. What was kind of your thought behind dressing her as she gets older? Well, I think that present day Ange is is very much the the kind of icon that that angelinos now know you know like like the people who are here now we, when we think of Ange, we think angeline we think of um the billboards and we think of the incredibly mysterious sort of like hot pink goddess who drives around in her corvette now and so for me nailing her present day look was so important and and i think that you bring up a really great point and it was one that most excited me. I mean, honestly, like I love every look in the show and I love every era, but I have an incredible soft spot for the present day looks because that's when she gets most adventurous. She sort of steps out of her color story and goes into sort of a different zone. And it's almost like, it's almost like this fantasia of her entire life living on her body right now in her clothes. And so I really wanted to kind of create this understanding. And part of that, part of the joy of that was being able to use the actual fabrics that we've seen real icon Angie wearing and that, and I was able to find them and I was able to recreate certain outfits. And then part of that was just sort of even kind of like taking the language and pushing forward in her interview She's wearing um, this black velvet tank dress, which is classic trademark Ange, and it's covered in pink, hot pink sequin stars. And I thought for me, you know, and that was really an important outfit because that outfit appears for the entire show. And for me, I was like, this is a story about a woman who's becoming the ultimate icon, who who worships literally in the first episode at an altar of Marilyn. And there is nothing more iconic than the stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And that must be what she is wearing on her outfit because she embodies that level of iconography. And that's why she's wearing those stars, not just because she is a star, but because she is the icon that the stars represent. And then sort of going to her outfit that she wears with Jeff that's a fascinating outfit because it was sort of designed to be part of an evolution because in the episode, Jeff's interviewing her. And I think the, and she's, you know, really angling to get a new billboard. So I actually intentionally held back. I put her on, I put her in a softer pink, a fluffy, soft pink, sparkly jacket that sort of doesn't have the vibrancy that we associate with her. And I put her in a crushed velvet and I thought, what is crushed velvet, but velvet that's literally been manipulated and sort of broken down a bit by life. And I think we're seeing her in this thing and just saying that like, she still has the Angie magic, but she maybe looks like she doesn't quite have the the level of, of power that she used to. But But through that journey with Jeff, she goes from this outfit, takes him to a party, walks in the door, 
And then that's when the first switcheroo happens because yes. <laughs> the dress that she's wearing is made out of the exact same fabric. However, it's cut much more flatteringly. And then this time it's completely studded in Swarovski rhinestones. So this like this sort of like sad thing has become beautiful because this is the power of Angie showing the world how she needs to be seen and giving people the joy. And in fact, all the backup dancers in that scene are, are, are done in a very specific homage to her real music video, because in, in the eighties and Angeline had this incredible passion for checkerboard and I, and I wanted it to, to be imbued and then with, with real Ange. And then finally, when we see her at the end of that number emerging, you know, from the heavens, like a goddess from above uh, on the moon, she's in this bodysuit that I kind of refer to as nude, even though it's kind of all done in these metallic sequins. And of course, she's wearing a, a, a giant rhinestone tiara. Um, but the only pink on her is a very soft pink ostrich bumper, which is like much more luxurious than we're used to seeing her in. And the idea is, she sort of has even like her her physical form has surpassed the need for these kind of like these sort of tricks that she refers to them in the episode. You know, she says, I use all my tricks to be loved. She kind of is coming down in what I refer to as her, her pure naked form. She is a gift from the heavens for all on earth to enjoy. And so the idea is, so when we go back to the first time Jeff sees her in that kind of crushed velvet, sparkly faux fur shrug jacket it's really kind of part of me setting the stage for her to grow and finally emerge as this kind of intergalactic beauty goddess that we know her to be i love that i when i saw this scene i was blown away because it's so unexpected yeah. and then it's just the checkers and all the sparkle and the pink you're just kind of like taken aback and it's like oh yeah this this is what angie does this is who she is and it's funny because I what I love about the backup dancers and they're and you know they're they're all in custom made Angeline visor glasses and from her everything they're wearing is custom. Um, their headdresses are custom. Their fans are custom. Their shoes were custom painted uh, to to to. But the idea is that they're wearing checkerboard, which is so Ange, and then their other accent color is essentially a mirror because that's basically what she is. She she is a mirror. She refers to herself as a mirror. And also she wants to be around mirrors. And it was a real interesting question for me is, what does the person who needs to be the center of attention allow the people who are behind her wear, right? And, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, of course the glasses were perfect because immediately it's sort of like, it's something that's iconically Ange, but it also sort of like pushes their identity further into the background. And then interestingly, the dancers are all genders. There's not one, they because the people who love her are everybody. And the people who kind of are able to be liberated by her sense of beauty and her sense of glamour is everybody. I love that. I love that. I love this scene. Um one episode, the final episode, you kind of get thrown back into a lot of historical, not not the Angie from the dance number, a very different. Uh, we get back to Rachel, who will create Angeline. And I, I was kind of shocked because it goes from something very whimsical and fun to pretty historically accurate. What was it like doing this episode in particular? I loved it. 
I I loved, by the way, the kids are great. You know, we have, we had, you know, so many, we had, you know, two sets of, An- of Angie as a child. And then, and then of course, Emmy playing Angie as a teenager and as Rachel. And I loved it. You know, I loved doing the cruise ship. I loved, you know, it was, it was really interesting because the cruise, the cruise ship was the SS Israel, which was a real cruise ship. And it was, it was, you know, we, we, we filled it with these really elegant people who were traveling to uh, many of whom are survivors of the Holocaust and their offspring who are traveling to have a new life in the United States. And I thought it was a really interesting opportunity to kind of show the story of the beginning of assimilation, because I do think that the story of Angeline has so much of that question in it, because you have, you know, these people who are these incredible survivors, you know, coming to the United States and and we knowing that that Angeline eventually creates her identity as this sort of like the embodiment of the, the perfect Hollywood icon, the, the perfect Hollywood blonde. And so I love sort of that starting point. I love creating the sort of suburban world. And I liked, and I really liked playing with color because I wanted sort of there to be a real sense of yearning. And I wanted to give young Rachel these sort of this iconic palette that was very much sort of rooted in her hair color, which was a sort of auburn. So I really pushed her into the kind of yellows and these warm autumnal colors. And they're not at all these sort of like fun, dazzling pinks. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a pretty serious thing. And then and we get to see her sort of with her mother, who's a beautiful woman. Um, and then we get to sort of watch a very difficult childhood where she has a very fraught relationship with her family, all the way up to a marriage where she's trying to sort of escape. And I thought that the, you know, the wedding dress, which was another build, was really interesting because. I think that the wedding is very much about her, her, her last effort to please everyone so she can make a clean escape from her family. So in many ways, the question was, what's the wedding dress that Rachel doesn't care about? What is the wedding dress she doesn't want? Mm -hmm. So we made it long. We covered the arms. Uh, although I do love the Daisy motif, uh, I, I got a really great '60s lace, and then and then our and then I I, I called the prop person and said, "We she has to have daisies." Yes, <laughs> it's just, like she has to have to. And and he and when I saw that when I saw her bouquet, I I was so excited. Um, and then and then when we see Rachel in in bed with her husband Danny, sort of contemplating the suffocating life that she thinks that she's about to have which is all the more kind of upsetting because the man that she married is actually so lovely and such a compassionate person. And, and, and you know, we worked really hard to make this a visual world that I think that Danny would have gone with her on this journey. I think he would have been excited for her. I think that like the real Danny was super into her and loved her. And if she said, I've, I'm a different person than the one you see, he, he'd think that was pretty cool actually, because he was a really cool guy. He is a cool guy. And we see that later on in the show in the 80s. But the so I put her in this like incredible, this I, there was like this very specific teal kind of blue that I wanted is sort of seafoam teal with like a, a touch of like aquamarine. And, 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 and I was able to accomplish it by actually layering 
two different silks to get this. Like one was sort of like a crushed, like one was this like beautiful textured silk over a charmeuse. But the idea was, because she has to walk into in this kind of foamy, chilly, teal nightgown. And I use the least romantic lace I can find for all the trim. It's this box lace. It's it's literally a grid. It's like it's like looking at suburbia from above. Yeah. And 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 she and she climbs into a hot pink intergalactic fantasy land surrounded by pink. So I know I needed an outfit that would sort of like really contrast because it's in that outfit that she meets the future intergalactic space goddess that is sort of Angeline at her most magical prior to her getting into her spaceship yes, and arriving <laughs> on earth. And so, so what I love about my favorite outfits are the ones that work best when they're in conversation with one another. So what I love most about the nightgown is that it truly comes alive when it's in conversation with Angie and her beaded, jeweled, crystal, Swarovski, knee-high boot, Barbarella meets Barbie space outfit. And yes. so it's only when those two outfits are looking at each other and having that very strange interaction, do they both really become complete. I, I loved that nightgown because I, I didn't even realize it was blue until she walks on to the planet. And I'm like, yes, wow, that is kind of boring <laughs> and nothing like who you are. And speaking of her being the perfect intergalactic queen, I lost my mind when I saw this. It was so much fun to see her in it, especially when she gets into her little spaceship. (laughs) This looked like it was just like a joy to work on and build for this final scene. I mean, it really was. It was, you know, it's it, it's obviously when you're dealing with beaded stuff, it's it's always going to be a little intense. And there was, you know, beads everywhere, crystals everywhere, glitter everywhere. But it's a great outfit, and I think one of the one of the things about it that, again, context is everything. And once we get into her control room, and once we see the spaceship, you can kind of understand it's it's done to be as lo-fi as humanly possible. You know, I was really looking at kind of like Barbarella, you know, the queen of outer space. I was looking, you know, at all the, you know, I was looking at B-movie sci-fi. I was looking, you know, it was it was all those references. And then, and then definitely when I was looking at her collars, of course, I was looking at Flash Gordon, which has some of the most fabulous costumes ever placed on film. Um, so, you know, we did the stand up collar, we, did, you know, and, and, but the idea was that like, it was, it was sort of, it was sort of a challenge to like, keep it as lo-fi as possible. Cause I think our eyes right now are so, um, are so trained to see really slick space outfits and slick superhero stuff. So it was really fun to be like, this is something that has to be made and can exist in the 40s, in the 50s, in the 60s. This is not something that is made for a Marvel movie, obviously. No. <laughs> and so, and, and so that was really fun. And 
And uh, and her tiara was super fun to make as well. You know, just sourcing it. I think one of the, my favorite things is in the center of her chest, she has this enormous Aurora Borealis crystal that is literally like Barbie plastic. It's it's like the sort of thing if a, if, if a young girl got like a Barbie beauty set, that's the crystal that would be glued in the middle of the mirror, yes. like on the handle. <laughs> and, and it was like, and I had to keep reminding myself that it was okay that the crystals are, you know, Aurora Borealis backed plastic, some of them, you know, like, cause that, cause the idea is that she is the most innocent embodiment of a sense of beauty and glamour that is not based on kind of anything other than visual joy. And so it's not about the most expensive anything, although, I mean, it obviously took an enormous amount of resources to create these looks, but it was more about is this a look that would create a sense of like hyper feminine joy in that very specific Angelina? I, I think you nailed it because thank you. this made me very happy. <laughs> I thank was like, hmm, what am I doing for Halloween now? Um, oh, my God. If you do, if you do a space Angel outfit, I will be so excited. <laughs> I need to see pictures. I'm not kidding. All right. Uh, I will definitely let you know because this because I watch a lot of Star Trek. So I'm uh-huh. like you said, I'm very used to the streamlined like sci-fi. And then I saw this and it's so classic sci-fi, but so like vibrant and Barbie. I was such a Barbie girl as a kid. Barbie that it just it brought a smile to my face when she showed up. And you must love the little flanges on her legs because that is like yes. total sci-fi, right? Absolutely. No, every detail was perfect. Even like her little armband. I was like, oh, yeah, just that little extra bit. There always needs to be an extra bit. It was really funny. A lot of the armbands on Real Angeline in the research, this is one of those things that I that I constantly am struggling with. So often she, Angie, Real Angie, will take an elastic bracelet and turn it into an armband. So, of course, there's going to be sort of a gap of elastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the perfectionist in me is like, that can't happen. But then like this sort of like strict storyteller in me is like, but it is what happened. And so I would, especially with Angie, always force myself to do that, to have the gap of elastic. That's sort of the Angie touch. And that tells us the story that she picked up a bracelet and then realized her upper arm needed some sparkle. Yeah. And so I would always leave the gap. And then part of me was like, did I just, should I have just filled in the gap? Because like, it was the perfectionist and the storyteller. I mean, the storyteller will always win, but like, it, it's rough. Yeah, I that that actually sounds, now that you say that, I'm like, oh, I would have had to move them around, cover that gap. <laughs> yeah, we move them around so the gap is always, because where it used to be, but still. I mean, I, I just, I loved working on Angeline because it's so rare to get to work on a project that is so physically joyful. My office was one of the most delightful, magical places. There was every single surface was covered with something sparkly or leopard or zebra or fluffy. And and yet to work with those textures and those colors to tell a story that I find to be incredibly relevant to the world in which we currently live about influencers about about receiving uh, approval and affection through interaction on social media in her case the social media was billboards and merch in her trunk but um 
And so the idea that I got to work on something that was so physically joyful, but tell a story that was so emotionally resonant with, with a creative, with a, with an entire group of creative collaborators, you know, with Emmy and Matt, you know, our director and Lucy, our wonderful director, Lucy, um, that were just so incredibly committed to telling an emotionally rich story. So, you know, for me, it was like the ultimate dream job that I get to have a lot of fun visually to tell a story that is emotionally incredibly deep. I love that. I love Angeline and Angeline the series. Um, I'm so happy you all created this because had no idea she existed. And now I'm like, this is just a person filled with so much joy. And I'm so happy more people get to know that now. Well, you know that if you see Angie, because you will start seeing her everywhere. If you see Angeline in her car, you have to make a wish. You know that, right? No, I have to make a wish if I see Angeline. Yes, because it's good luck to see Angeline. I will have to keep an eye out now. Yes, definitely. That is oh, that's so sweet. That's so much fun. (laughs) Yes. Um, Thank you so much for coming and talking to me. Uh, Do you have anything you're working on now that you can talk about? Um, Well, I, I, I'm, I'm not allowed to talk about the project that I'm currently working on, but it's very cool. But I can tell you one that I'm very excited about, which incidentally also had me dressing a body that was the work of very brilliant uh, special effects creation. I did a really beautiful movie with Darren Aronofsky uh, called The Whale. And Brendan Salmon uh, plays a man who is living with obesity. And um, and so the movie is a gorgeous, gorgeous chamber piece based on a really beautiful play with this incredible cast. It's Brendan and Sadie Sink and Hong Chow and Samantha Morton. I mean, it's this incredible cast in this really intimate story that is just, you know, just such a lovely film. And and I thought it was very interesting that I that I got to go from sort of dressing one, you know, one very sort of like extreme body to dressing another extreme body because the goal was the same for both of them. The goal for both of those movies was to move past any of the first preconceptions that one must have about a body and to move right into how these people's bodies are the ultimate embodiment of where they are in their lives and in their emotional lives and in their kind of metaphorical lives. And so, so even though, even though the the projects are very different, uh, I was able to sort of utilize some of the same skills, which was kind of like the mix of of dressing actual bodies and bodies that were created specifically for the characters. I love that. That is so exciting. Um, Cannot wait to see whale and Just again, congratulations on your Emmy nomination. We are rooting for you. Thank you. And thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Okay. And please get my best dispenser. I will. He wanted to be here. He wanted to be here. I know. I'm such a fan, but I'm so happy that we got to chat. It's such a pleasure. And, you know, Angie is a project that I just, I really hold in my heart so dearly. So I'm always excited to talk about. Thank you for coming and talking to us. Thank you. The Art of Costume Blogcast is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Joy Glass and Spencer Williams. 
Our audio engineering and editing is done by Dan White. Follow us on Instagram at the Art of Costume Pod or visit the Art of Costume Blogcast.com for all blogcast updates. If you want to support the show, go to theartofcostume.com slash podstore. Or you can head over to patreon.com slash theartofcostume for some bonus content. For more costume reviews, deep dives, and interviews, head over to theartofcostume.com, a blog dedicated to highlighting the best in costume design. Thank you.